You're listening to the sound of Son Huesteco, played by 2016 Best Lomax Hawes NEA National Heritage Fellow, Artemio Posadas. And this is Artworks, the weekly podcast produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. The musical tradition, Son Huesteco, began in the late 19th century in the Huastecan region of northeastern Mexico, the place where Artemio Posadas was born and raised. It's a tradition filled with many musical components. First, it's performed by a trio consisting of violin, jarana huasteca, which is a small guitar, and the quinta huapenguera, which is a large guitar. The musicians will sing short, often improvised lyrics that follow traditional poetic forms. Melodies are punctuated with high falsetto as the violin tears off into wild ornamentations. Finally, it's embedded in social interaction. There's not performers and a passive audience. Rather, at San Huasteco gatherings, people dance, often on wooden platforms, their footwork creating a rhythmic conversation between dancers and musicians. So it's both a musical event and a social and cultural practice. In fact, practice is a word Artemio Posadas returns to again and again. Artemio Posadas has dedicated his life to keeping this cultural practice vibrant. During the 1970s, he would visit the United States and conduct workshops for Mexican-Americans eager to embrace their heritage. When he emigrated to the U.S. and made the Bay Area his home in 1979, he brought San Huasteco with him, taking on apprentices and bringing Mexican musicians to the U.S. to play and to teach. One of those apprentices, musician and anthropologist Russell Rodriguez, translated for Artemio Posadas when I spoke to him in Washington, D.C., soon after he received the Best Lomax Hawes Award. And though the Best Lomax Hawes Award is given in honor of a significant contribution to the preservation and awareness of cultural heritage, Posadas is also a fine musician playing the jarana huatseca, the quinta huapenguera, and most spectacularly, the violin. But then, Artemio Posadas grew up in a musical family. Eh, mi padre tocaba violín en un grupo de guapango arribeño. My father played violin in, in an ensemble that played music which is called guapango arribeño. Was he your teacher? Did you pick up the violin first? Sí. No, yo creo que eh, directamente no me enseñó pero yo sentí siempre su, como espiritualmente, su influencia en mí. He didn't really teach me. Nevertheless, growing up with him, I felt his, it was like spiritually, he influenced my, my direction. Because there was always music in your house. Sí. Yeah. When did you first learn? When did you first learn to play? Cuando yo estaba... Eh, Uh, it was during my last year of high school when I entered into an ens a musical and, and dance ensemble at the University of San Luis Potosí that was in 1967. The director there at the university uh, group bought a, a bunch of different instruments, uh, accordions, marimbas, and for some reason I, I gravitated to the violin. When did you become interested in song? En el, en la mismo año en It was in that same year, 1967, when the director of the group, Juan Antonio Armendares, 
began to take me to Convivirias to go share space and time with with a lot of the different musicians of the region that played the son huasteco. As I mentioned, son huasteco consists of many elements of music, poetry, and dance coming together. But Artemio Posadas is quick to point out that the tradition itself is a hybrid of different cultures. El son en general es una... We should think about it in this way of what he called aires, and I think it's these, these influences, Arabic and Spanish, and making their ways to the Americas, and also with Africans that are brought to, to the region, and mixing with all these other groups, and, and it's how people kind of develop an expression that is theirs, and, and thinking about time, and a process of time and, and experience, and I think we're thinking about colonization and a lot of different historical experiences. Son Huasteco brings together all these various cultural influences, but then the music is expressed distinctly in different times and different places. These same influences occur in different spots throughout Mexico, and they are distinct to these different communities. You start to have different feels in the rhythm. Even if, you know, even if the rhythm is like 3-4 meter or 6-8 meters, there's still these different accents and feels and sentiments also instruments which instruments end up emerging in the in the different communities also uh, what are, what are the resources what's available to them can we go through the different components that make up song bueno el en en una manifestación como de in the son huasteco there's there's various components that kind of that create this matrix the rhythm which we call wapango the dance the, sub, the footwork, it's like a, a, a harder stomping footwork, zapateado. The improvisation of verses, uh, sung verses, and then the improvisation of the violin. Si, también. Yeah. Y en la quinta. And oh yeah, and the, the, the wapanguera also will play some improvised uh, melodic lines. But because the son huasteco is so multifaceted, so rich and immersive, it struck me that it would be very hard to pass along this tradition. There are so many moving parts to it. Es como todo. Si se hace continuamente. It's like anything else. At first, sure, it's going to be complicated and it's going to seem like overwhelming. But with practice and having continued enthusiasm and energy to practice, having a place to gather, a space to practice, and bringing people together. Then when you see the musicians play, other musicians can see what's going on and how people are playing so they can start their process of imitating and, and practicing. But it's, it's within that, the social gathering, you know, what they call the fandango, where, where this occurs. And, and it's this engagement and this interaction to see people already practice and a space for others to learn. 
In Mexico, traditionally, where and when would people have the opportunity to experience the song Huasteco? Eh, la máxima expresión del, del son huasteco se da en las guapangueadas. Uh, and I used the term eh, for the guapangueadas. Before, he, it was, he was using the term guapangueada. That's the social event. And what's the same thing? It's the same thing. Oh, okay. mm -hmm. And we use the guapangueada because the song, the, the rhythm is called guapango. So he's saying that event can occur in, in somebody's backyard, it can occur in a basketball court, you know, at a school, at the... Uh, yeah, no, 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 it's, <laughs> you, you need space, you need time. More, right? more hours. In more hours. <laughs> and the open plaza in a, in a municipal, oh. you know, in front of the church, you know, it's, it's a public event in which people are expected to, to engage, participate. And this is where the, the musicians, this is where the dancers come and are inspired in their improvisations of verses, inspired in their zapateados, in their footwork, inspired in their in their performance, in their presentation. It's not performance presentation, it's practice. So what's at the heart of this is that it's a social community event. It's not something that is, you're on a stage and the audience is here and everybody politely claps at the end. He said the maximum expression, meaning the the practice as, at its best, is exactly what you're saying. As a social engagement, que pues dijiste que el el es la máxima expresión expresión expression es es el este la participación social. your work, aside from teaching this tradition of song, is also making it clear that it is a social event. I think about Mexico and squares in Mexico where there are public gathering spaces, and in the United States, that's far and few between. Ese es un, un punto muy bueno. You bring up the good point, the right point, that it's very much more difficult here in the United States. Nevertheless, we do make them happen. Yeah. These gatherings happen, and they, they occur, for instance, in the garage of the, the Beltran family that live in Santa Clara, right right next to the 49er stadium. metros. <laughs> 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 100 meters from the 49ers new stadium. Or at the East Bay Center, you know, in the esplanade of the, of the theater. And, but the children, they do invite us to have a wapangueda you know, at their homes too. So it does become more private, even though it's it's open and it's people are invited and we try to encourage a lot of people to yeah. practice, it shifts. That's the other part that I wanted to talk to you about because you began practicing this in Mexico and then moved to the Bay Area in the late 70s. And I'm just wondering how it translates, what the difference is in terms of practitioners, in terms of audience between California, the United States, and, and Mexico. Bueno, tuve que adaptarme a las reglas de este país. Sure, it was adapting to, you know, new cultural rules or even laws and thinking about how in the United States you can't have an event that goes throughout the whole night. 
especially in a public space. So now we have many fandangos and many wapangelas that are, are shorter in time to accommodate. How long are they typically, or were they typically in Mexico, uh, traditionally? ¿Cuánto tiempo dura normalmente en México? Bueno, pueden durar de las siete, ocho de la noche hasta que amanece. They can start at like seven at night until the dawn, you know, next day morning. And there's actual fandangos that are scheduled to occur throughout a weekend or, you know, days. They have different lifts and rests and lifts and rests, yeah, of, of course, course, you know. Artemio Posadas has been teaching the practice of son huasteco since the 1970s. We're now in the 21st century, and everyone's attention is pulled in many different directions, especially young people. Was there still an interest in son huasteco among young third or fourth generation Mexican Americans? Bueno, están interesados, pero debemos ser muy claros. Obviously, there will be different responses. Some people, you know, are drawn to it, and, and others not so much. And there's a cultural issue because the youngsters, especially those that weren't born in the United States, it's not really their cultural practice, or they're not growing up within a context of that cultural practice. Maybe the parents did. There's times when you do see this connection between the generation, between the parents and the children, where they find a common interest in it, and that's when it's very beautiful. this right. Songs had, had almost fallen out of practice in, in Mexico, or it was on the decline, and since the 70s, it really has been revived. Is that true, or did I completely misread that? Yo creo que, que sí eh, se revalorizó so, todo I, I, think, son. I think you're right. Around that time, people were were seeing that the elders that were musicians in the in the smaller towns were getting old and passing. And so there were people that, that made efforts to rescue and make sure that their knowledge wasn't lost. And it's, so it's in that time that you see people practicing more. So, you know, it was mostly men that used to play. And now with this kind of resurgence, you see women who are being recognized as really important practitioners and young girls engaging it. I know you've organized tours of this and performances, and I also know that it's often on a shoestring budget, and this has a lot of moving parts. Can you just talk about how you go about organizing something like this um, and presenting it on a tour when there just isn't a lot of money to do it? Bueno, la... El amor por el son tradicional mexicano. It's the love for the, the practice of the son, you know, of Mexico, especially the son huasteco. And, and yeah, he paid out of his own pocket and his savings to, to make things happen. And then when he started working with the East Bay Center for the Performing Arts, 
they were able to help out. Uh, they had other resources, um, I'm sure, you know, development and grant writers to, to get a little bit more funds. And this is how we did it, to bring the musicians that we wanted to see, you know, and to do these projects and, and create these events. We just want to add here, I, what small organizations do with very little is tremendous. Yes, I agree. And it's just the efforts and the enthusiasm and the energy they spread to others to contribute in some way or another. I completely, completely concur with that. You sing, you play instruments, you dance, you organize and arrange tours, and you teach. I'm just saying that's a lot. How do you juggle all of this? And I, and I run half marathons. And you run marathons, yes. <laughs> and he has a full-time job aside from that. Bueno, eh, yo creo que cuando hay este amor por eh, el, el son, eh, siempre Again, hay manera de... Yeah, de I think yeah, it's just, it's the love for it. And it's the investment with, with the children, with the youth, with the adults that, that I work with. It's not only working here at this level in the, in the Bay Area, but understanding that it connects back to Mexico to where he learned. And for, for example, Artemio goes and visits some of the indigenous communities quite, quite often. And I, from what I understand, he's kind of like a, a godfather figure, a padrino patron. Of the little bit that he has, he'll invest in that community you know, with some finances to make sure that what they do does not stop. For instance, the last time he visited, just recently, there was a young, young man, an 18-year-old, that told him, you know, I do want to learn the indigenous harp that's practiced in that community, which is something very rare. And so Artemi said, okay, I'll send the money to get the harp for you, and I'll send money to the musician that plays so he'll teach you. And it's understanding how it's, it's circular, you know, how much he's gotten from that community. Now it's time for him to invest back to it. And now with, with actually with this award, it'll really help to make sure that certain things continue, you know, and it's, it's something that he thinks is incredibly important because it's not just to keep a practice going, but it's how people formulate their identity. And hold on to their history. And then finally, National Heritage Fellowship Award. Not only what, what does it mean to you to get the award, but what do you think it says about the place of, of song in the United States and in the Mexican-American community? Yo creo que en general, el premio significa que debo prepararme mejor, que debo estudiar más eh, para compartir a más gente y hacer una como lo dije anoche hacer una aportación en donde podamos construir una sociedad más justa y humana por medio del son receiving this award really means that it's time for me 
to really dig in and continue my studies and be more prepared so that I can continue to share what I know. We have to utilize these expressions. We have to utilize this knowledge to contribute, to formulate a society that's, that's more just and humane. Thank you. Congratulations. Congratulations. Gracias. That's 2016 National Heritage Fellow Artemio Posadas. Musician and anthropologist Russell Rodriguez translated. Today, the National Endowment for the Arts announced the 2018 National Heritage Fellows. This is the nation's highest award for folk and traditional artists. They range from an R&B singer, to a Day of the Dead altar maker, to an old-time fiddler. The concert honoring them takes place in Washington, D.C. on December 28th. It's free and open to the public. Go to arts.gov for more information. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. My thanks to Victoria Hutter for her insightful and finely written article in NEA Arts about Artemio Posadas. You can subscribe to Artworks wherever you get your podcasts. So please do, and leave us a rating on Apple. It helps people to find us. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening. Thank you.